0: Listeners, on Tuesday, September 12th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern, I'll be hosting a live virtual taping of Don't Ask Tig on Zoom. Comedians Mae Martin and Fortune Feemster are my guests. Go to donastig.org slash live for tickets and information. I can guarantee you an evening of hilarious conversation, general silliness, audience interaction, and as always, heartfelt, unqualified advice. Make your tax-free donation at don'tasktig.org slash live to reserve your spot now. Don't Ask Tig, Fortune Feemster, and Mae Martin live on September 12th. Tickets are at don'tasktig.org slash live. Also, if you want to see me live on stage, I'm headed to Torrington, Connecticut, September 15th. Rochester, New York, September 16th, Wilmington, Delaware, September 17th, Colorado Springs, Colorado, September 25th, Breckenridge, Colorado, September 28th. I'll also be doing a European tour in October, so go to my website for all of those tickets and show information. La Crosse, Wisconsin, October 28th, and then Brooklyn, New York, November 4th to tape my next stand-up special. Again, go to tignotaro.com to get all ticket and show information. Now, on with the show. You gotta do more movies. Well, now you sound like somebody's mother who doesn't understand how the business works. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) I love that like in the early days of stand up when everybody's doing open mics and I would hear that people's parents would say, you know what you should do? You should go on Letterman as (laughs) though it's your choice and you're just deciding not to.
1: You just didn't think of that before.
0: Yeah, it just hasn't come up. I've just been so excited about doing three minutes at a laundromat. (laughs) This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, and if I was the last woman on Earth, I still wouldn't ask me for advice. With me now is an award-winning actor, comedian, and writer known for her performances in What We Do in the Shadows, The Mysterious Benedict Society, The Last Man on Earth, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, 30 Rock, and many others. She voices Trixie in Toy Story, Sarah Lynn in BoJack Horseman, and Louise Belcher in Bob's Burgers. Kristen Schaal, my dear old pal, welcome to Don't Ask Tig.
1: Thanks, Tig. Any occasion to get in front of your face, I'll take it.
0: Same, same. I was thinking before we got on to this recording about when we met. Is it coming
1: up on 20 years? I mean, I know when I was living in your garage was 2007. (laughs) Okay. You weren't living in my garage. Garage turned guest house. But we must have known each other before that.
0: Oh, yeah. I know when we met. It was in New York City. And I was at a show. And you came up and you said, I just saw you perform at a show. Will you do my show? Your hot tub show that was going on in New York.
1: Yeah, I was producing it as well with Kurt. So it was my job, our job to get the comedians. That's a full time job, by the way. That's a hard job. So I would spend all my nights at comedy shows just waiting for my moment Mm to solicit comedians to come. And you came, right? Oh, yeah. I see. It was very memorable. Yeah, I have no recollection of (laughs) you there. I remember Michael Showalter came, and that was a big deal, and David Cross. Well, it probably
0: wasn't a big deal when I made it there. I was just filling up the lineup. But it was a big deal in my life when you lived in my guest house. A lot of people lived in that guest house, I'll be honest.
1: hot hot spot when you're in New York and you get a tiny gig in LA.
0: No, Kristen Schull my dear friend. My research tells me that you've had some pretty harsh criticism about your voice, including your speech teacher telling you that you have, quote unquote, an atrocious lisp. Yeah. That is atrocious.
1: Did you say that to the person? Oh, no, I shriveled up like a raisin and like wanted to just sink into the carpet. She was very like, revered at the college. And it was an authority figure. And I was trying to sign up with this guy that I thought was hot and then just said my name. And she just wanted to slice me into pieces. And she wouldn't even teach me. I got assigned to her, like, what do they call it? Do they call it a TA? Teacher's assistant? Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyways, it was fine. At the time, it really hurt my feelings and made me rethink whether or not I should proceed But, um, you know, you got to have those you got to have those blocks so you can like figure out the next bomb that gets thrown out. You'll be a little tougher. And
0: so how do you overcome that? What aside from just living through it?
1: Honestly, you don't. I mean, really, it just took me being like successful using my voice to make money like 20 years later <laughs> for me to look back on that and say, I think she was wrong. But yeah, so there's no getting over it. <laughs> Have you gone back and,
0: and showed her all of the uh, the proof in the pudding that she
1: was so terribly wrong? I haven't gone back to that college but I might go back this spring. There's like a reunion for the improv troupe. But uh, no, I don't need to. Um, she, you know, she was coming from a place of teaching like Shakespearean monologues and diction uh-huh. and all the stuff that, in a lot of aspects, she was exactly right. Your voice is an instrument and you should be able to make it sound like everybody else's. <laughs> well, isn't that a sentence she could have said? Yeah, what, no, you just said. Uh thing that she did.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: She wasn't the first one either. Like I got comments on my voice my whole life leading up to that. So it wasn't like, Oh my God, my voice sounds weird. Like I knew it was weird. Um, there's nothing I could do about it. How crazy
0: if you had worked on your voice in some way that changed
1: it. Yeah. It would have made me feel like a real imposter You know, I had a conversation decades ago with Maria Bamford about this. It was so long ago, so I I don't mean to, I'm not quoting her, but from my memory, she was saying that she felt so intimidated about her voice and that it was so unique that it wasn't going to, you know, women's voices, if they're different, they get made fun of, which is weird because mostly women are revered, but (laughs) she's practiced different voices lower voices and move mm-hmm. them so that she could have this armor. And then and when you listen to her stand up, like she goes back and forth between all these lovely like mirage of voices from her real voice.
0: Yeah, she does so many characters. And I, I've heard her say that people have inquired why she doesn't just use one of those characters' voices as her own voice. <laughs> <laughs> It's like yeah that seems like that would come very naturally and make life easy.
1: Just always be putting on a show.
0: Yeah. Now, you've obviously had incredible success and you've talked about the importance of ambition in having a career in entertainment and what what does ambition come from for you?
1: Ooh. I think you might need to be born with it possibly I was in an environment in Colorado where I knew what I wanted right away and I knew that I had to kind of get out of there and getting out of there was not easy I had to like make some moves that no one in my family had made before you know to like Mm -hmm. get to another state so I think that isn't really something that I learned it's just something I knew I had to do Also, I was remembering when I used to do speech and debate in high school, or they call it forensics, where you can do speeches or you can do like debates, or you could take like pieces of plays and act them out and compete with each other. And that was the best training I think I've ever gotten for this business. Because I was up against a judge who's judging my performance to compete. I wanted to like win so I could make it to the finals Mm -hmm. doing like theater. And that's all this business is like beat out the person for the part. Yeah. You had to be ambitious. And I think there's incredibly talented people that I've come past in my journey that should be along the ride, if not further than anyone I know, just don't want to do it. And not to say that they they've given up on themselves. I mean, I think their ambition might be directed in something else. But if they had taken that ambition and pushed it, we probably would have,
0: you know. Yeah. You can look at somebody and think, oh my gosh, you have all of this talent. You could be the biggest stand-up in the world, the biggest rock star in the world. You could be a well-known novelist. And sometimes people aren't looking for that. Yeah. And it's sometimes hard to understand because you are so floored by someone's talent that you want the world to know and experience them. But, you know, it's interesting to um, send that energy in a different direction or not pursue it to a degree that others would.
1: You know, and I think going back to when you were talking about that speech teacher, I think what maybe protected me from that comment was my ambition. Okay. Well, she thinks I suck. We'll see who else thinks I suck. You know, let's keep trying <laughs> it to see if more people think you suck. You know, that's the ambition. That's not yeah. going to do with talent. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going along project
0: to project going, I wonder if this casting director will think I suck. I wonder if this agent will think I suck or this book or whatever. <laughs>
1: negative I do go with the idea that I won't get it which is my protection
0: I guess it could be protection but it also could be the awareness of because I've experienced that where I'm like there's no world where I'm going to get that because I'm so aware of the crazy talent that I'm surrounded by and I can't ever imagine that somebody's not going to choose Maria Bamford or choose Kristen Shawl or whoever it is, you know?
1: Three of us should definitely do something together. The Golden Girls. Yes, yes. <laughs>
0: Who would you be? In The Golden Girls? Yeah. Probably be Arthur or, th- or The Little One. And I don't think that her name on the show is The Little One. It's Sophia,
1: and her name is Estelle Getty.
0: Okay. I remember stumbling upon The Golden Girls as a kid or how, whenever that was on, a young adult. And I was like, whoa, this is so funny. <laughs> I was so surprised that I was stuck in by um, a bunch of people who are probably my age right now then at the time, you know.
1: I think they were in their early 50s. <laughs> yeah. Just like dead husbands and like <laughs> ready to die themselves. Right.
0: Planning their funerals. So, Kristen, you've cited Andy Kaufman as one of your influences.
1: What is it about him that inspired you? Oh my gosh, the family asked me to say a little speech cuz he's getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame next month. Wow, what? what took so long? I have no idea. I well, you know, you have to petition for it and then there's like a committee. I wanted to do a mockumentary where I was trying to get a star. And um, and just how disgusting I because you have to like pitch yourself and like just like, you know what? I should do it still. You wait, you have to pitch yourself to them. Yeah, you have to be like, so what do you think about Andy Kaufman being a star? The committee has to decide. Also, like people write letters, then it's not even free. It's like 30 grand. You pay for your star, but then it's there permanently and they'll always take care of your star. You know, even if you're Donald Trump, they'll replace it. Do you really think anything on this planet is
0: permanent, Kristen? You think Hollywood Walk of Fame will be here for an eternity?
1: I don't know, Tig. Like, am I weird that I think the world might not end?
0: And that Hollywood will still be there?
1: The sun's going to crash into the earth, but not for like at least 60 million years.
0: Well, that's still an end.
1: Yeah, but that's like more of an end than we need to even contemplate. Okay. So do you have an interest in having
0: a star? Oh my God, I would love to have a star. Don't you have a star?
1: I don't know. It's never crossed my mind. I feel like the only permanent things that last in art, the longest that I've seen is anything carved out of stone. I mean, that's what we still look at.
0: Well, maybe it's me protecting myself where I think, well, I'm not going to have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
1: I think that we could get you a star. Like, we should both campaign for stars. We have to do it as a documentary and
0: we go neck and neck. We compete to get a star on the Walk of
1: Fame. And we're like out networking each other. And like (laughs) I put 25 hams to the committee and you find out you're so pissed. I bring 25 Tofurkeys. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get the Walk of Fame
0: star because nobody's going to want my Tofurkey. Don't give it away. Don't give
1: it away Andy. We don't know yet. We have to do this. This would be hilarious. I've already written a mild outline. I think it's really a good idea. I'm going to green light the project. Thanks, Tig. Well, you've made your own TV show. I know you were listing my credits. I was basking in it and I was like, yeah, but Tig has her own show. That's yeah. one of the biggest achievements that you can do in this business.
0: Okay. Hey, I had 12 episodes
1: of a television show about cancer. There's a podcast about someone who's pretending to have cancer. Have you heard it? No. It's called Scamanda. I just came across it randomly, but it hooked me because she pretends she has cancer and just the world throws her so much. And she's the host? No, no, no. It's uh, someone else is hosting it. Oh, oh, oh. You're like a crime podcast. Mm -hmm. Did you get lots of like support and money and stuff from uh, your community? (laughs) Did I? Didn't really ask for it though.
0: (laughs) No, but I got a lot of support for sure, and I'm endlessly thankful for it. But I don't, I don't know if I would be a good topic of a podcast because I actually really had it.
1: I know it's not that interesting. I would talk about using two voices just to be able to lie about that. I mean, that is like you're hell.
0: Yes, hell is awaiting, and uh, you know, also my listeners are awaiting for advice. Sorry, yeah. No need to apologize. Kristen, you grew up on a farm, is that right?
1: I just love, like we've known each other for 20 years, but you're just setting up these questions like (laughs) just freshly read a Wikipedia.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm completely unfamiliar with you, (laughs) even though you did live in my backyard. So you were essentially my farm animal for a little while. Mm -hmm. Well, your farm experience- might help with our first question. Kylie writes, Tig, I've lived in LA for 11 years and have a good job. My conundrum is I've been in a three-year relationship with a man I love so much, but with whom I find I have less and less in common. I work in marketing and design. He's a country boy. I'm contemplating a move to his rural town in a very red area of Southern California, where I'd be living on his parents' ranch off an eight-mile dirt road with little Wi-Fi. I'm sincerely afraid that making this move will cut off all my resources to culture, the arts, and diversity in general. Do I move and try and make it work? (laughs)
1: That's a. Is that a real question?
0: Yeah, that's a real question. This is real life, Kristen.
1: Oh, this is tough because, like, it's hard to find love. Like, if you find someone that you said she says she loves a lot, like that is very special. Yeah, um, I know a lot of people who wish they could have that, but also that sounds like kind of the worst move you could possibly make because you're going to be isolated with this guy very isolated and that's not healthy either like she needs to be able to have a social life and friends I know these rural areas my dad grew up in the eastern Colorado right on the border of Kansas and we go back to see his family sometimes and it's like there's one main street you know and it's like yeah know everyone it's like Groundhog Day over and over again. I That is just, for me, that's kind of like not my taste. And I think she should trust her gut that that's not her taste either. I agree with you. It's so hard to find
0: love, that kind of love that I believe you and I have found in our lives. She could try it. That's what I was going to say is maybe say, I will give this a whirl for six months. One year. One year. Okay. One year, Kristen said.
1: One year. Because that's the thing I always was worried when, like, you know, I lived in New York and then I tried to live in LA and then I gave up, moved back to New York. And I was like, oh, if I move, it's going to be such a big deal. Like everything's going to be different if I move back and the cities don't change. So if she leaves for a while, she could probably pop back into her world again and, Maybe they'll go and they'll have a great time on their, like, dial-up internet. And
0: (laughs) (laughs) if Kristen and I are coming in with a similar feeling of give it a whirl, and quite possibly you'll grow together, or maybe things will just shake itself loose when you go there for a year.
1: Also, too, and I don't know what Kylie does, but if she is giving up... I do. Marketing and design. Oh, well, if it's something that means a lot to her and she's been working really hard cracking away at those marketing designs working her way up or starting her own business and if that's going to be sacrificed to move with this guy i would say definitely not the other thing is i think love is also about not sacrificing your ambition Mm -hmm. which is why i disagree with the end of la story but (sighs)
0: kylie it's a tough decision I think you know what to do deep in your heart. Kristen, let's take a quick break. We'll return with more listener questions. Kristen, this next question is about parenting. Kay writes, My daughter is six years old and an only child. Whenever we hang out with friends, she doesn't play with their kids. She will join us with the adults and do her own thing or ask us to play with her. What's a way to encourage her to play with others, or should I respect her choices? I'm worried she won't be able to grow her social skills with peers.
1: With the friends that they were hanging out with, did they say what the ages of the kids were? Well, her daughter's six, and she said
0: that whenever she hangs out with friends, she doesn't play with her friends' kids.
1: So, I don't, like, how old are those friends' kids,
0: you know? That's a good point. I'm going to assume they're roughly in the same age range.
1: Friends' kids could be kind of like duds, too. Like, there's a lot I don't know about this situation.
0: Well, there's a lot we don't know about any of these situations, but I do remember at the,
1: the part where I called these hypothetical friends, kids, duds. I think the people will be upset that you called them duds. Yeah. And I called children duds. Well,
0: you're keeping it. What I mean, if that's the biggest controversy turns into a, an explosive situation?
1: Good free me, like John Mulaney said, you know, being likable is a jail. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. might be my thing, my moment.
0: Yeah, where you say, these kids might be duds.
1: Imaginary kids. <laughs> okay, keep going. So I remember as a
0: kid, my parents having friends that had kids, and I found it a little special and exciting when those kids came over, because it was like, they don't go to my school, they don't live in my neighborhood. But I don't know how to encourage her to play without just asking and simply encouraging her to. But if she doesn't, and she just wants to go off by herself or hang out with the adults, is she connecting with kids at her school or in her neighborhood, or is she just not connecting with anybody at all? And I feel like at that point, you might want to talk to a professional.
1: I was outgoing and I'm really grateful that my daughter's outgoing too, because it is so lovely. So I see this must be really hard and frustrating. I would see ask what the daughter is into. Like if she's into the easiest thing I could point to is like drawing, then it might be something you just sort of plan ahead. So if the friends are coming over, maybe set up like a craft for the kids to do specifically instead of, I don't know. She also just might not have found her people yet. You know, that's the thing. Like some kid's going to come along where she's, they're going to get each other and they're going to like go make like puppets in the basement or whatever, you know. So maybe don't sweat it too much.
0: And it's funny because there is potentially something very positive about the kids running off and making puppets in the basement, but also that could in the long run be a weird thing where I don't know how to stop my daughter from making puppets in the basement.
1: Oh, also if the kids have like a, a, like we are saying a really young kid, you know, you could be like, Hey, you're six years old. You know what that means? Like you could show so-and-so like make her feel like she has some sort of responsibility with the younger kid.
0: Yeah. Or you could just be like, look, you're six now. You need to start making puppets in the basement.
1: (laughs) It's what your dad did. It's what I did.
0: (laughs) Okay. All the best to you and your daughter and the puppets in the basement. (laughs) Kristen, next up is a question sent from a listener named Courtney. Okay. Courtney writes, my husband and I were fortunate enough to buy a home last year, and it's been a dream come true. However, we have one weird issue that I'm hoping you can help us with. My husband keeps accidentally locking the lock on the front door handle when he goes outside to get the mail, take out the trash, etc. It's usually not a big deal, as he either has a key or someone else is at home to let him in. But once my son and I were out of town, he locked himself out and had to call a locksmith, which ended up being very expensive. I can't on earth figure out how he is accidentally locking the door handle just by opening and shutting the door. It has never happened to me or my son. My husband wants to put a key in a fake rock for when this happens, but I heard you shouldn't do that because they're too easy for burglars to spot. Do you have any ideas?
1: Yeah, I could fix this in an instant. <laughs> so easy. Get your locksmith back for one more final payment and get one of those code locks. Mm. I had that. We moved into a house that had that. Never looked back. No house keys, nothing. We just live our lives um, knowing the code. And that's it. Problem solved. Courtney, we have an open door
0: policy on this show, which is more than I can say for your husband. Good luck. And Kristen, our work here is nearly done, but I'm going to task you with one more advice giving duty. This is Name That Thing. Name That Thing. Name That Thing is the segment where people entrust me and my guest with the responsibility of naming a thing. We've named everything from a punk, funk, and country band to a cane. The only catch is that whatever name we come up with is legally binding.
1: Meaning like you've got someone, a lawyer who works in trademarks.
0: Yeah, we have police.
1: Yeah, they're going to catch them.
0: All right. Well, today's name that thing request was sent from Bex. My best buds and I love kayaking together. While we are middle-aged nerds, we want to turn this group of kayakers into a well-branded, very cool, quote-unquote, gang. Like a motorcycle gang. We ride on the weekends in a pack on the mean creeks of the New Jersey Pine Barrens. And now we need to make it official with some kind of patch and gang logo we can tag up our yaks with. We would like our name to be cool and kind of edgy to help our street slash river credibility. The New Jersey Pine Barrens is home to the Jersey Devil. Spooky stuff. We have been friends for years and once partied hard together and now we birdwatch, talk about our health problems, and go to bed early. I hope you can help us make our gang legit. Kristen? Kristen?
1: Yeah, I got a couple right off the bat. Oh wow! Okay, that was quick. Could be the the maniacs, uh, <laughs> uh, river
0: rascals. I really like maniacs, wet and wet and wild. And um, I don't know why we'd go beyond maniacs.
1: Yeah, maniacs.
0: That is so good. I think that was the quickest name. That thing that. Has ever happened on this show in three plus years? The Coke
1: Zero I've been drinking.
0: Bex, your yak gang will be known now and forever as the Maniacs, thanks to the brilliant Kristen Shaw. Kristen, it has been a gosh darn pleasure to see your face, to connect with you. I look forward to seeing you again in the flesh. And is there anything you would like to
1: mention or share before we wrap up? Since I can't promote the show that's not airing right now that I'm in, I'm going to promote your Hollywood Walk of Fame star. I'm promoting TIG and I's Hollywood Walk of Fame documentary that we're going to make. If anyone's listening that makes these documentaries, please reach out to TIG. Directly. (laughs) Because obviously they'll have your info on here, right? Of
0: course. I give out all of my info all the time and love to hear from people. <laughs> Kristen, thank you for taking the time. And I hope that I can see you sooner than later.
1: Yeah, I'm just around. Okay. Thanks, Tig. To your
0: heart. Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette and Shayna Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Maria Wortel and Lou Barron. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham, And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Shaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask TIG. Don't Ask TIG is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky.